Hey, uh, as you grab a seat, get a copy of God's Word in front of you to the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 5 is where we're at today. And if you don't have a Bible and a seat back in front of you, just grab one of those and turn with me to Exodus, uh, Exodus 5. Now, um, as you settle in there, let me ask this question. When's the last time you obeyed God and life got harder because of it? I think that's a really important question for us because I think it's so easy to preach the message of like, just obey God and everything goes great. And we do know, and the entire back half of the the sermon is going to be about the blessings that come from obeying our great God. But but if we we got to have integ- biblical integrity to look each other eyeball to eyeball and go, you know what? Sometimes obeying God is just costly. It's hard, and sometimes life gets heavier when we do. Uh, and let me, let me give some examples just from like everyday life. Uh, picture a 17-year-old uh, follower of Jesus. And when I was in student ministry, I would always tell the kids, I found those who are walking with Jesus, li- uh, high school gets lonelier and lonelier with each year. And so this 17-year-old kid does something just dumb last weekend. Something dumb with a group of friends. It's unwise. And, and yet uh, the blessing in it is that the Holy Spirit is so convicting them. I got to go talk to mom and dad. I got to go talk to mom and dad. But I don't want to go talk to mom and dad. But the conviction of the Spirit sets in. And they go. And there's a beautiful meeting. And it's redemptive. And there's consequences. And there's a learning opportunity. But, but here's what happens. Mom and dad found out. So other moms and dads found out. And then as other moms and dads found out, kids find out. Because they have consequences. Those kids come back to school saying, hey, dummy. Why'd you tell mom and dad about that? And now you have relational friction of high school friendships over one kid's obedience. Uh, Think about another just everyday thing. A a wife is convicted. She's got to confront her husband on something. It's sin. It's got to be addressed. It's gone on way too long. And and yet she's put it off and put it off. And and, and finally she's like, no, I know. I got to obey the Lord. And she confronts. and, And he responds with a less than mature response. That, could that ever happen, right? And he, he grumps and he slumps and he sulks, not for hours, not for days, for weeks. And now this wife's obedience has turned into living with someone who is even harder to live with. Uh, think about the 35-year-old follower of Jesus in the dating world. And it looks like there's another candidate, married, you know, marriageable candidate here. And the longer they get into the relationship, some things come out, hearts are exposed, and, and this 35-year-old Jesus follower is like, I, I got to get out of this. And yet they know the moment they pull out of this, there are going to be more weddings next year that they're going to that aren't their own. Sometimes obeying God is costly, and we just got to love each other enough to remind each other of that. Um, I bring that up because uh, as we turn to Exodus 5, we're coming off a scene where God has called Moses, and there's this miraculous burning bush encounter, and God and Moses are communicating, and Moses is like, here's why I can't do it, and God's like, let me show you more of who I am, and Moses is like, here's why I don't want to do it, and God's like, let me tell you more of who I am, and finally Moses comes, he's like, can you just find someone else, and God's like, no, let me show you who I am, and you're the guy who's going to go do this, and in Exodus 5, as we turn there, we finally see Moses' obedience. We're going to see him before Pharaoh. He's going to be God's mouthpiece and spokesman. But um, uh, here's the reality. Life's just going to get harder for the people of God and for Moses and Aaron in the near term. And so I, I just come back to that question for us. What do we do when we obey God and life gets harder or heavier? Uh, the big idea for today is this. Obeying God can prove costly. But the blessings of obedience always outweigh the costs. 
That's where I hope this, the, the, to take us today through these two chapters of the book of Exodus. And what we're going to find is in Exodus chapter 5, we're going to see the costs of obedience. It's going to be pretty clear what this has cost Moses and Aaron as they've obeyed the Lord. But as, as we transition to, to, to chapter 6, there's this beautiful line that starts chapter 6 that kind of changes the whole soundtrack. And in chapter 6, we're going to see these, these blessings that come when we obey the Lord. And the blessings from obeying him always outweigh the costs that come from it. And so I hope to just let God's word encourage us and speak to that today. So if I can, let me pray and let's get into it. Father, we do know that at times to follow you proves costly. Jesus, you told us that. You said that up front, that we are to count the costs. And so God, I pray, would your spirit prompt us towards obedience today from a deep place of worship of who you are, fueled by the gospel. God, please do that today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you this first cost here as we jump into five. First cost of obeying God is this. Obeying God can make your life harder and burdens heavier. Let me show you that from the passage today. Exodus 5 verse 1 says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But look at Pharaoh's response here. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. So I want us to understand something that's happening big picture in the book of Exodus. Because what's coming next week are all the plagues that God is going to bring on the land of Egypt. But what we can't miss in, the, miss in those plagues is this is a glory war that's about to happen. Pharaoh has dug his heels in. You see it by his response. Who's the Lord? I don't care who that is. I don't know him. And oh, by the way, the answer is no. Pharaoh's heels are dug in and the Lord is going to show his power and his glory and how it supersedes that of Pharaoh's. But this is Pharaoh's response here. Look at what happens in verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded, look what he commands now. He commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore the cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work, don't miss that now, verse 9. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Okay, big picture now, big picture here with me. Moses and Aaron have obeyed. They're before Pharaoh. Let these people go. And Pharaoh says, how about no to that? And oh, by the way, the straw we used to provide for you to make the bricks and fulfill the quota we give you, we're now removing that. So go gather your own material and make the same amount of bricks every day. 
Life has got harder and the burden has gotten heavier. And you see that verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves whether you, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Disobedience has only made life harder. You have the quota that's still got to be made. You have less material to do it with. You have the Israelite foremen who are overseeing the laborers, beaten for not fulfilling this quota. And you're like, what is going on? God, we've come back to lead your people out of bondage. It seems that in our coming back, there's only greater bondage, heavier burdens. What's happening here? This is what can happen in life after obeying God. Life can get harder and the burden heavier. This week as I was studying this, I had to come to terms with this reality. What if, what if God's greatest goal from, of my obedience isn't my immediate ease? I'll be honest, I kind of wish it was. What if God's greatest goal is instead the advancement of his kingdom and his sons and daughters' sanctification? And what if at times obedience allows us to walk through harder and heavier seasons of life? Now, I think we often want it to be ease. Lord, I obeyed. It should be like pulling a lever. I obeyed. You, you make life easier. And yet, when we read the Bible, that's not what we see. John the Baptist, he's, I mean, faithful to be the forerunner of Christ's ministry, faithful to God in every way, it leads to him being decapitated. You look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who leaves the, like, prestige of, of the, 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 the religious ladder he was climbing, and he's following Jesus, and you come to the parts in his letters where he un unpacks all that he went through, his obedience to the Lord led to life being hard. You think of Stephen, who's stoned to death. And now, I know those are extreme examples, but even for us, there is cost to our obedience that we just got to acknowledge here together. And so, we can go, if obeying God is costly, why, why obey? Let me give us some motivation for that. Three motivations for costly obedience. One, Love for God and the glory of his name. Can I just ask us, is that enough for us? The last two weeks, in Exodus 3 and 4, we watch God again and again just display the greatness of who he is. And we sat here and we worshiped over that. What if God could bring our heart to a place today where we just said, God, I will obey simply because you are great and you are worthy of it. How about love for people? Sometimes obedience 
comes at a sacrifice or a cost of loving and serving other people. Let that motivate us for costly obedience. How about a love for the spread of the gospel? Throughout church history, you see as the gospel spreads, that comes with great cost. But these things are worthy of costly obedience. And so Moses and Aaron come back and they say, Pharaoh, let these people go. And it only seems to make life heavier and the burden harder. And yet, you kind of expect that. You kind of expect Moses and Aaron to come back and Pharaoh respond in this kind of way. And in all of us, as we obey the Lord, we kind of expect opposition from people who don't know the Lord and aren't believers. That's hard. But you know what's even harder? Friendly fire. When your obedience leads to criticism from other members of the family. Look at what happens here in verse 15. It says, then the foreman of the people of Israel came out and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is, uh, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, Pharaoh says back, you are idle, you are idle. That is, why, uh, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met, look at what happens now. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So you're, you're Moses and Aaron. You've gone back to Pharaoh. You've done what God has asked you. You've said, let these people go. Uh, the, the life's got harder. The burden is heavier. You have these Israelite foremen. They've now gone to Pharaoh. They said, you, we can't do this. This is, this is impossible. You have to relent. Pharaoh says, no way. Get back to work. Same terms. And as they're walking out of this meeting, they look at Moses and Aaron and they say, you. Life was hard before you came. Life's impossible now. And look at what they said. May God judge. Come on now. If you're Moses and Aaron, what are you thinking? Second cost of obeying God. Obeying God can bring harsh criticism from others. May God judge. Now, as I said before, we, un we, we understand that in some ways. We expect that in some ways. Uh, we understand that obedience can lead us to com take compassionate but firm stands on topics in our culture. And as we take compassionate yet firm stands, that will lead, that's going to lead to some harsh criticism at times. We understand that. But then there's times where the Lord begins to prompt and stir and, and maybe we need to be obedient to go confront a brother or sister in their sin. And no one loves that. I mean, no one wakes up and goes, you know what I really want to do? I want to go confront someone in their sin. Or if you do, you probably need to check your heart, okay? Like, and yet they obey, they do it. And yet sometimes as, as that happens, 
what is intended as loving confrontation can be responded to by harsh criticism from the person who's been confronted and from their surrounding community. Or sometimes there's obedience that is willing to go, go for the great commission, and not even just like a formal call to a mission field, but someone who's wrestling with a, a move for work, and, and, and the Lord is stirring, and the Lord's saying, go, you need to go, you need to move across the country, you need to, you need to move overseas, you need to do this, I'm leading this, and God is leading. And yet as they process that with even believers close to them, they can find some criticism, some questioning. Why? Because they don't want them to go. We just got to know that there are times where obeying the Lord can lead to criticism. And I just want to kind of remind us from Galatians 1.10 what we need to be reminded of in this regard. Galatians 1.10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Church people, church folk, listen to me. Obey the Lord. Do what he says, even if it makes life harder in the near term. To near term, Do what he says, even if it leads to criticism. Obey the Lord. He's worthy of it. Moses and Aaron have. They are. Life's harder. Criticism is harsher. And when, when, when you come to a place in life where you've obeyed, and all it's done is made life seem like total chaos, and everyone is upset with you, can, it, it can lead to a place of despair, can it not? It can lead to a place of confusion and questioning, going, did, what, did we get this right at all? And this is where Moses is at, a place of despair. Verse 22 says, then Moses turned to the Lord. Moses did what? Yeah, remember that. We're going to come back there. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? It's interesting. Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Third, third thing on the cost side of obeying God, heavy burdens and harsh criticism due to obeying God can lead to despair. Heavy burdens, harsh criticism due to obeying God can lead us to places of despair. You see that. You hear that in what Moses says here. And uh, like right in our flesh, come on, y'all, in our flesh, we can't, we can't blame him. I can't blame him. I'd be going, God, when I, when, when, when we, when I finally said, okay, I'm leaving Midian, I'm going back, man, I, I didn't expect it to go like this. And you hear it in what he's saying, the questioning, the confusion, the despair. But I, but I want to I I show us something that I, wanna, I think is good and for us to emulate. And then I want us to critique something that Moses said here. But go back to the beginning of verse 22. Moses did what? In his despair, in his confusion, in his questioning, Moses did what? When you're despairing, turn to the Lord. And I don't want that to be a trite, like just some trite application it, it, it's, that, that is real. When you, are, when you are so confused and have found life more chaotic on the other side of obedience and you don't know what else to do or who else to turn, turn to the Lord. This is what you see again and again in the Psalms, do you not? Lord, what is going on? Why is this happening? I'm summarizing for you a lot of Psalms right now. What is going on? 
Why is this happening? Where are you? That is good. God can handle that. Bring the rawness to the Lord. Go vertical with your despair, not internal. Go vertical with it. And now as we go vertical, let me just caution us of one thing that I want to critique here of what Moses says. He says, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Later on, I think he gets it outweigh the costs. And you see the transition of this at the beginning of chapter, chapter 6. Uh, Moses has just cried out in despair. He, God, what is going on? Why did you send me? Why is this happening? But the Lord said to Moses, we need to hear from the Lord right now, don't we? We need to let the Lord speak into this. So what are the blessings that come from obeying God? Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, and I, wa I want you to read the beginning of this with me. The, but the Lord said to Moses, read this with me, now you shall. I love that. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a, with a strong hand, remember God has brought that up before, the success of this mission was never based on the eloquence or the wisdom or the power of Moses and Aaron. God told them that. The success of this mission was always in the strong hand of a mighty God who is going to have to extend that strong hand against the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And he tells Moses, Moses is like, why, Lord? Why me? What? And the Lord's like, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Moses is about to see the power of God. His obedience has put him in prime position to watch this strong hand extend against a strong man on this earth. What are the blessings of obedience? The first one is this. Obeying God puts us in prime position to watch his powerful work. Obedience to God is never about our powerful work. Obedience to God is about him putting us in a prime position to watch his powerful work. Now you shall see. Moses, you're going to see my strong hand extend out and lead this. Have you ever showed up to something you love, a Broadway show, sporting event, any other event, and you knew you had good seats, but like when you got in, you're like, we have good seats. You ever been there? Some of you are like, nope, we're always up there. <laughs> I just want to encourage us today. Obedience to God puts us in some awesome seats to watch powerful works that he's going to do. Now you shall see. But, it, but obedience isn't only about 
what he's going to see here. God has some things to say to Moses to remind him of his promises, to encourage him towards greater obedience. Verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, everything God's done up to this point in the paragraph, he's like, remember who I am, remember what I have done. Now he's going to say, and here's what I will do. I want you to know all the times we see the phrase, I will. It's going to be, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Say, therefore, to the people, verse 6, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord Come on! You have a dejected and despairing Moses, and the Lord is like, let me remind you of my gospel promises. This is what I'm calling gospel promises. And he's just saying this, I will, I will, I will. Man, like I just picture like a scene from Rocky where they're like, let's go. Not strengthen themselves, but the, go- the reminder of gospel promises that produces in obedience. Second blessing of obedience, obeying God brings fresh reminders of his gospel promises. Now, let me tell you why I'm calling these gospel promises. You're like, we're not in the book of Matthew. How can this be gospel promises? Remember, though, something at this point we've been trying to make. This God of the gospel doesn't start in the New Testament. This God of the gospel from cover, is, is, is revealing himself from cover to cover in our Bibles, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. And you see here some beautiful things that he's encouraging Moses, giving him motivation for obedience by coming back to some gospel principles, things like this, I will deliver you. Our God is the God of deliverance. We see that here in their, their, their bondage in Egypt. He says, I will deliver you in verse 6. He is the God of deliverance. Go to that slide if we can of the gospel promises. He says, I will redeem you. He is the God of redemption, is he not? This idea of redeeming, it, it means to, to, to purchase, to buy back out of. We have a God who's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and has purchased, has bought us out of the power of sin, but then it gets better than this. He says in verse 7, I will take you to be my people. He is an adopting God. He makes us sons and daughters. 
For those of us sitting in this room today, we are adopted in the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not only that we're delivered from the power of sin and then God says, okay, I delivered you like best of luck to you. He says, no, you are now a son or daughter of the most high God. This is amazing. That news is really good. And then he says, I'll bring you into the land. He's a God of inheritance. You see the gospel promises that motivate obedience. And if I could just look us eyeball to eyeball today, and if there's things in your lives where you're like, we know we need to obey, we know we need to obey, we know we need to obey, I'm telling you, your motivation for obedience will never be in like, okay, I got to muster it up. I got to white knuckle it. I got to do this. Your motivation for obedience will always be, will always come from meditating deeply on gospel promises that Jesus Christ has already won for you. As you drive deeply into gospel promises, from that flows a geyser, a rushing well of obedience. He's the God of deliverance. He's the God of redemption. He's the God of adoption. He's the God of inheritance. The more that sinks in of all that is our Jesus Christ, that's where the motivation of obedience flows from. So God encourages them with these gospel reminders And Moses isn't quite convinced yet. Verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So Moses relays this on, and the people of God, they're broken. The weight is too heavy. And at this point, it doesn't look like the mission goes on, but the Lord has one more blessing in store here. Obedience has made life harder, but God says, watch this. Obedience has brought criticism, but God comes back to his gospel promises. Obedience has led Moses to a place of despair, but God's about to lift him out of that place. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, go, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and I love this phrase, and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The Lord, he says, Moses, let me remind you of the call. And Moses says, if, if the people, if the Israelites won't even listen to me, how is Pharaoh going to listen to me? And the Lord comes down and gives Moses and Aaron a charge to what he has called them to, exhorting him to what he has called them to, pushing them one step forward to what he has called them to, enabling greater obedience. Last of them, third blessing, God's power and promises fuel his charge for us to keep obeying. Thank God that upon belief in Jesus Christ, we are given the Spirit of God who encourages us, who counsels us, and who exhorts us on to greater obedience when we don't feel like we have anything left. 
but we're not able to take one more step towards it. In our backyard, we have this uh, like little ninja rope course. That's probably not the official name, but that's what we call it. And um, the kids will start on one side, and they'll, they'll get up, and they'll, they'll make it to like the second or third little thingy there. And then they start yelling for you, like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And they're right, they can't. And so Erica and I will come over and we'll help support their weight. And while we support their weight, we just encourage them to re reach out for the next one. Just grab the next one. Just grab the next one. Just take the next reach. You got this. We're here. I want to I say to us today, some of you are call, being called by God to take steps of obedience, and you can't see the end of the rope course, so to speak. Can I remind you today that you have a loving God who is right there supporting and holding you up, saying, take the next reach of obedience. I got you. Just reach for the next part. And so can I ask some questions as we close today? Even if you say I can, I'm going to. Three questions I just want us wrestling with as we leave here today. How is God asking you to obey him? Man, some of you, it's like, man, that is a huge question in our life right now. We got some big life decisions. Others of you, there's, there's, there's something that you might say, but this is a little thing, but it's a little thing that's a big thing. We, I got I to gotta obey in that. How is God asking you to obey him? Then second, the scary part of the of the process, what might that cost you? What might that step of obedience cost you? But as you write that down this week or as you meditate on that this week and as that starts to paralyze, potentially paralyze you from taking the step of obedience, can I move you to the third question? How does the gospel remind you that your obedience to our great God is worthy of that cost? Because he's worthy of that cost. And so, Redeemer, if you would, stand to your feet. I want to send us out of here today. And as I send us out of here today, I want to exhort you, church. We've spent the last two weeks looking at the greatness of our God. We have seen this week through the obedience of Moses and Aaron that with obedience, there can be costs. But the blessings that come from obeying God always outweigh those costs. Let's go and obey him for his glory and for the spread of his name. Redeemer, you are loved, you are sent. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.